Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by the amazing Jennifer Kuklenski. She is an assistant professor of business, as well as the William B. Mark Professor of Social Science at Northland College. Her area of research expertise is in corporate social responsibility, which we're going to be talking about with her today. And she had a recent book come out called Diversity and Organizational Development, Impacts and Opportunities. So we're so excited to have you here, Jennifer, and to have this conversation with you today. Well, hi, Katina and Patricia. Um, It's awesome to be here with you today. And I'm looking forward to chatting about social responsibility and sustainability with you. We're excited to have you. It's a topic we haven't discussed much, but we know it's super important. And so we love that we're able to bring you with your expertise into the conversation today. So I'd love so to first, hear, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your career path. So what brought you to focus on sustainability at work, uh, both socially and environmentally? Um, Well, as you mentioned, um, I'm a professor of business and social science at Northland College, which is a private liberal arts college in northern Wisconsin that has a progressive focus on the environment and social justice. Um, And so the interesting thing about Northland is it allows, uh, because we're a small school, it allows professors to um, really kind of tap into maybe their interdisciplinary interests, which works well for me because I've got a rather interdisciplinary academic background. Um, I actually began my economic or sorry, my um, academic studies as a political science and international relations major. And I pursued my first master's degree in international security, which made sense for me at the time because I was serving in the Air National Guard and I was working in intelligence analysis for a large multinational corporation. But after finishing my master's degree, I became more and more interested in economics and business. Um, This was kind of natural for me, too, because my parents have owned and operated a small business for around 40 years, and I grew up around the business world. So I guess it just kind of took me a little while to come back to those roots. Um, But given my background in political science and international development, I was particularly interested in how business or even organizations more broadly can contribute to social and environmental good. Um, I also have a background in workforce development. So I managed three offices in the Western Upper Peninsula of Michigan before I started my doctoral program. And the more I worked in and researched about workforce development, the more it became clear to me that the workplace really is where real change happens. Um, I felt that if management in workplaces could change strategy, policy, and culture to be more in line with international and um, social and environmental goals, then we could start to make some real progress on some of the world's most pressing issues. So I, I would come back to this idea that, you know, we spend the majority of our adult lives at work. So what happens at work is really important to me. Um, I feel strongly that, you know, if we can change people's behavior at work through, you know, organizational culture and policies, we can change their behaviors outside of work too. And so essentially, I feel like those work behaviors will eventually bleed over into people's personal lives. So I think what happens in the workplace is super important. 
Um, in my PhD program, I studied political economy and economic development, and then went on to get an MBA in sustainability management. And that's when I really started focusing on, um, you know, how organizations can help advance the sustainable development goals. So although, you know, I've got a fairly broad and diversified research agenda, um, this is one of my primary areas of research, like the two of you identified when we started. Um, I just finished writing the book on diversity and organizational development, like you mentioned. And one of the things that I discuss in the book is how diversity and inclusion fit into sustainability and corporate so social responsibility goals. Um, oftentimes, I, I think that organizations dedicate, you know, when they when they decide to focus on sustainability, they dedicate a lot of resources to the environmental aspects or pillar of sustainability, which is, of course, important. But, you know, leaders need to remember that it's people who carry out sustainability initiatives. So that social element is really important also. And diversity and inclusion play a major role in the innovation and problem solving that we need to develop more sustainable work environments and societies more broadly. Um, this is also part of the reason that I started my consulting and training company, 3P Insights, because I wanted to help organizations, um, you know, from that research perspective, advance holistic sustainability and improve their impacts in terms of, you know, all three of sustainability's pillars. So the economic, environmental and social impacts. Well, that's awesome. I mean, we obviously love, uh, that's why we asked you to come on here. We love your approach to sustainability, looking both at the social aspects and the environmental aspects and really thinking about how those two fit together. And um, we'll we'll link to your book as well as to your consulting firm in the show, show notes if folks are interested in that. Um, but I know uh, myself from working in a school of business uh, that, you know, there are a lot of challenges to getting uh, business people or companies to care about and pay attention both to social sustainability issues around DEI, as well as environmental sustainability, corporate social responsibility, and things of that nature. From what you've seen or the work that you've done, what do you think are some of the greatest challenges that both activists or others who care deeply about sustainability have to overcome when they're trying to convince companies to pay attention to these issues? And what seems to work when you're trying to get companies on board? Um, so that is an excellent question and um, definitely, you know, an important thing that, that we consider in the world of sustainability because there are a lot of challenges, you know, that, that we face to try to get um, not just companies, but, you know, all organizations on board with these sustainability goals. Um, so I think that I'll sort of tackle that one at a time and maybe talk about some of the challenges um, and then we can, you know, maybe if you have any questions, we can clarify or and, and then I'll move on to, you know, talking about what can actually get these organizations on board. Um, that sounds great. Perfect. So. So from my perspective, I think the biggest challenge, um, especially for small and medium sized organizations is simply a lack of resources to implement sustainability initiatives. So whether that's monetary resources or time resources, many small and medium-sized firms just, just don't have those extra resources. Um, and that's complicated by the fact that sustainability is incredibly complex. So even for organizations that do have the resources to make big changes, um, you know, 
assessing an organization's complete value chain and looking where um, sustainability you know, problems or opportunities exists, it, it, you know, it's challenging work. It takes a long time. Um, there's actually a really great TED Talk by Olivia T um, Tyler called The Complex Path to Sustainability, which I think does a nice job discussing why organizations have such a difficult time addressing some of, you know, their unsustainable aspects, especially as it relates to their supply chains. Um, and actually, the complexity of supply chains is one of the three significant challenges that were identified in a 2019 report published by the United Nations Global Compact and um, the business consultancy Accenture. Um, so this report found that, um, you know, the, the primary hurdle um, here is a lack of transparency in the supply chain. And so it can be really difficult um, for organizations to get accurate information about their resources and supplies that they used to then produce their final goods and services. Um, and so, you know, consumers have a hard time, you know, finding this information, but businesses do too, because obviously businesses buy from other businesses. Um, and so I work with organizations to implement more sustainable practices. And when I do, you know, I, I explain to them right away from the beginning that, you know, it takes a lot to become a truly sustainable organization. You know, it's not just about recycling in the office or reducing waste. It's about looking at our entire value chain from, you know, the paper and pens we purchase to the emissions produced by our web pages to you know, everyday actions and practices of employees. And so we need to not only look at you know, what we're doing directly in our workplace, but also whether or not we're being complicit in say, human rights abuses through our purchasing behaviors or procurement decisions. Um, and so for example, you know, if we were operating a hotel or a bed and breakfast, where do our towels come from? You know, where are they made and are people paid fairly to produce them? Is slave or child labor being used to produce them? Are the factories they're produced in safe? You know, and so sometimes it's hard to answer these questions because the information just simply isn't available. Um, and so more, more often than not, you know, when organizations start to really dive into sustainability, I see them kind of retreat, right? And just simply decide that, you know, this is gonna to be too much for them to handle. And the truth is it would be if we were trying to tackle it all at once, you know, which is why I tell organizations to start somewhere and have, you know, maybe annual goals addressing each of these three pillars of sustainability. And when they meet their first goals, establish some new ones and just keep working on it. Um, so I'd say that like the first major challenge is that complexity and especially the complexity of the supply chain. Um, but that 2019 Global Compact report that I mentioned earlier also found that competition as well as uh, public rhetoric are significant challenges that are frustrating business efforts towards sustainability. Um, and so in terms of competition, while one company may decide to go all in for sustainability, their competitors may not choose to make that commitment. And as a result, the company moving towards sustainability begins to lag, at least in the short term, because right now, most sustainably produced goods cost a bit more. And so if consumers aren't fully committed to sustainability, then they'll just buy from the company that's cheaper. And this relates to that third 
you know, major challenge that the Global Compact Report found, which is, uh, you know, sort of public rhetoric or even public sentiment toward sustainability. Um, studies find that close to 70% of consumers say they want more, they, they want to purchase more sustainably produced goods. However, their attitudes don't often match their behavior in the checkout line. Um, the 2019 report found that business leaders believe the public is excellent when it comes to talking about change, but that they are unwilling, for the most part, to pay higher prices for goods and services as a result of those changes. Um, and I've actually been able to confirm some of this with some of my doctoral research um, when I was examining sustainable consumption for a study that looked at sustainable water consumption. And I did find that consumer attitudes about sustainability often didn't match their behavior. Um, my research found that the two largest deterrents of sustainable behavior at the individual level are higher prices and lack of convenience. So if a company's more sustainable option is higher priced but more convenient, then consumers may make the switch, at least if they have enough purchasing power to be able to. However, if it's less convenient and higher in price, then the company really faces an uphill battle because consumers are just going to look to their competitors to fill that void. The, I mean, everything you said there is super interesting. Like I've been thinking about for myself, just this last example, when you talk about um, people not necessarily behaving the way that they believe, right? And I definitely have fallen into that trap myself. So it makes sense that it's a really big challenge for organizations because they, as much as they may want to move in the right direction, both with things like the supply chain, um, with how consumers behave, etc., those things can really stop them from uh, moving forward properly. So in terms of those challenges, what do you see as ways to get companies like, do you have any insight as to how companies can move past these challenges or try to overcome them? Um, how do you get companies to focus on sustainability, uh, given all the, the hardship that might come with it? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit that all of my behavior is not as sustainable as it could be either. I mean, and, and I, I think I'm going to probably talk about that a little bit more um, maybe later in the episode, but you know, there's there's certain systemic barriers that we face too that make those individual decisions a lot harder. Um, so, in terms of getting companies on board, I think that demonstrating the benefits of sustainability initiatives is really important, and there are many. So, the good news is, being sustainable <laughs> is is super hard work for organizations, but it's really worth it. Um, if they do it well. And so, for example, one of the important monetary benefits of sustainability is the fact that in the long run, sustainable practices can help organizations increase revenues and reduce costs. In terms of increasing their revenues, you know, improvements in a firm's environmental or social reputation can help them capture a growing market niche, of, you know, consisting of environmentally and socially conscious consumers. And although I just finished telling you that consumers don't always act on their attitudes in the checkout line, there is global research that shows that consumers are 
increasingly likely to look at, um, you know, the sustainability aspects of a company before they make a purchase. And so, um, you know, if the goods come at a significantly higher price or a significantly less convenience, you know, then the number of consumers willing to make those purchases drops. But as long as the organization is able to, you know, provide um, moderately, you know, marked up products or, you know, products that are just as convenient or more convenient, then consumers are really looking for companies to do good. Um, and, you know, with that said, consumers do tend to trust companies that act sustainably. So there's this reputation piece that is really valuable from the consumer mindset. Um, however, and I think this relates a little bit more to the work that, that you all do at Worker Being, um, but another really important benefit of sustainability has to do with workers because sustainability initiatives can also lead to better work environments and happier employees. Um, and this can help organizations attract and retain talent as well as, you know, build that reputation among um, consumers. And so just to give, you know, some examples, um, recent surveys show that people prefer to work for organizations that perform well socially and are more likely to stay with organizations that have a strong plan for sustainability. Um, truly sustainable organizations treat people as an essential and valuable resource. So they tend to offer better benefits and wellness programs, as well as promote diversity and inclusion. In such workplaces, people tend to be happier and the organizational culture tends to be one that empowers employees to fully contribute to organizational success. And allowing employees to contribute to sustainability initiatives is also really important. Um, for example, according to an article that was published by the Stanford Social Innovation Review about how engaged employees um, or how to engage employees to create sustainable business, employees at Unilever um, at a factory, a tea factory in England, saved the company nearly 50,000 euros and reduced the waste of 9.3 tons of paper by suggesting the company change the size of paper tea bags. And so those employees felt really empowered to make that suggestion. And because they were working with the product directly, they knew exactly what could be improved. So, you know, the company actually implemented their suggestions also. And so they felt more engaged and more empowered to contribute to and uphold other sustainability practices. Um, and this type of employee engagement with sustainability has been shown to improve productivity and motivation. But there's actually um, a lot of other things that go into sustainability um, or, or that result from sustainable practices that lead to more happier, uh, more satisfying and productive workplaces. So another example would be like changes to the physical environment that can lead to higher productivity. For example, installing skylights or large windows in the office can help save energy, and so it can help save on energy costs. But exposure to natural light during the day is also strongly linked to energy, mood, sleep, and overall quality of life for people. So the presence of natural light is especially important in the workplace. Um, According to some research at uh, Northwestern University's neuroscience program, 
an abundance of natural light was found to boost morale, improve motivation, and workplace performance, and promotes feelings of peace and calm. On the other hand, harsh artificial light triggers headaches and tends to make people feel nervous, uneasy, or fatigued. Um, you know, lack of natural light has been linked to insomnia, distraction, and even depression. And in some cases, researchers found that absence of natural light triggered such extreme feelings of exhaustion that individuals were incapable of maintaining a normal working schedule. So you can see how the desire to reduce energy consumption, which, you know, saves organizations in terms of energy costs, can also help with employee wellness, motivation, and productivity. So that's just, you know, one example of, of how we can link our sustainability goals, um, you know, to both cost savings and, you know, more, more healthy employees. Um, and healthier workplaces produce happier and more productive employees. Um, so for example, if a company has a cafeteria and they offer healthier options like salad bars and veggie options, this can lead to higher levels of energy among employees. Um, healthier diets have you know, been linked to stronger brain activity and better mood. Um, research cited by Harvard's health blog, for example, found that diets high in vegetables, fruits, and unprocessed grains and seafood with only modest amounts of dairy and meats um, might reduce the risk of depression by 25 to 35%. So, you know, I'm definitely not a mental health expert, but there's a lot of research out there that shows that these healthier diets are associated with better mental health as well as physical health. So aside from the wellness piece of sustainability, healthier diets also are better for the planet. Um, a recent study published by Springer, for example, showed that diets high in calories, saturated fats, added sugars, uh, processed foods, and red meats are less environmentally sustainable than plant-based diets, which are usually associated with less greenhouse gas emissions and lower land and water use. And so, um, you know, plant-based diets are also, of course, more ethical when it comes to animal treatment. But, you know, supporting these healthy eating habits in our workplaces, um, even if we don't have cafes or cafeterias, can help, you know, both our social and environmental sustainability goals. Um, so, you know, if we don't have a cafeteria, we could look at, you know, do we do potlucks or do we have, you know, um, working lunches? And if we do, you know, what are we eating? Because if we're having a midday potluck and or a cookout or something, and we're eating, you know, only burgers, brats or hot dogs with white buns and chips, people are actually going to go back to work feeling less energized than before that social activity, um, possibly just because of the food that they ate. And so, um, you know, it's, it's linking sort of these outcomes um, for, you know, higher productivity, better mood, higher morale uh, with our sustainability goals as well. Yeah, I mean, all of that is really awesome in terms of thinking about not just the case for making the planet healthier and stronger, but also making people healthier and stronger. And as a nice byproduct of that, it makes businesses healthier and stronger. And so uh, I think that all of those cases put together uh, makes a really good argument for why companies might want to get on board with these things and gives certainly our listeners a lot to think about if they're not already doing these sorts of things in their own workplaces. So you're an academic, uh, but you also have a consulting business. 
Why do you think the partnership between academia and business is so important to drive greater sustainability at work? So you're talking about a lot of research and I'm guessing that that's part of it, but um, have you seen really interesting partnerships between your academic institution as a whole or academic researchers in general that have really helped businesses move to see things differently or create more systemic changes from a sustainability perspective? For sure. Um, You know, I think that there, first and foremost, is a really important education piece to sustainability. Um, You know, one of my goals as a researcher, as an academic, as a professor, and, you know, and then as, you know, a consultant is to help share some of the sustainability research that, you know, I do in my professional life with organizations so they can see the benefits of sustainability themselves. And I think that this is particularly important for those small and medium-sized organizations that, you know, may not have the resources to bring a, you know, highly paid consultant on board to help them. Um, And so I I think that there there definitely are some good partnerships between institutions. Um, You know, I've seen it at uh, Northland where I teach, you know, we have a real strong relationship with our local community. Um, We're building, you know, bridges between business owners and sort of our environmental mission. Um, And so I I definitely think that that academia in general plays a really important role for, you know, all organizations, but especially those organizations that that don't have as much um, maybe monetary resources available to them. Um, I I also think that, you know, educators can help develop those truly engaged employees, you know, in an organization's sustainability initiatives. Um, You know, those of us with research and teaching experience in this area can help educate employees on the benefits of sustainability. And employee engagement is a really important piece for sustainability strategies to work. So, you know, some of the research looks at sort of the top-down approach where management makes a commitment to build sustainable strategies into their over, overall strategy and strategic plan. Um, but there's this sort of grassroots part of, of sustainability that's really important too. And, and it's those individuals making choices every day in the workplace. Um, and those individuals need to feel empowered. And part of that empowerment is education. And so, um, you know, helping educate those employees on practices and behaviors that are compatible with their organization's sustainability goals and strategy uh, is, I think, another place where academics, you know, can play a really important role. I think that's a really great point around having the grassroots approach in addition to the top-down approach, because pretty much in everything that we do as well, we see the same thing. If you don't have employee engagement, it doesn't matter what programs you put into place if employees are not participating in it are not helping drive the outcomes and obviously it's not going to happen so it makes sense that from a sustainability perspective it's the same story and I agree that you know bringing somebody like yourself with expertise in this space and being able to speak to what sustainability can look like in an organization and why it's important can really help drive that engagement so having a, a good why is always key I want to shift gears a little bit as we start to get towards the end of our amazing time with you. And I want to talk about your personal experience. So how do you personally find um, 
ways to manage your own sustainability, uh, your practices, what you're doing on your own, both in your personal life, social life, um, environmental perspective, what have you. Just love to hear a little bit from you and what we can learn from you and be more sustainable in our own lives too. Um, yeah, so so that's, I think, a great way to start kind of wrapping up our conversation about sustainability because, um, you know, when we talk about sustainability in business, there is you know, a, a, a loud call for businesses to make a, a bigger impact. Um, you know, businesses have a scale that individuals and households just don't have. And so, you know, if businesses can change their, their practices, then um, that's going to make a much bigger impact than an individual, you know, living more sustainably. But with that said, I'm, I strongly believe that that change can happen from the bottom and that, you know, achieving sustainability and building sustainability norms into our everyday lives is also a really important component to achieving our, our overall sustainable development goals. Um, and so for me personally, um, I would first and foremost, I, I remind myself that living sustainably requires constant commitment. <laughs> Um, unfortunately, like I had mentioned a little bit earlier, and, and I had a feeling we, we would probably circle back to this, but our current systems and structures don't really support sustainable behaviors. So if I go into a gas station tomorrow, for example, during a road trip, um, you know, we're not going to, we're most likely not going to find hydration stations where we can easily fill up our reusable, you know, bottle of water. Um, but we will find loads of single-use plastic water bottle options in the coolers. And so, you know, the structures just aren't built to make sustainable choices easy. So in the absence of sustainable structures, we sometimes have to be a bit creative. And oftentimes we have to plan ahead. Um, so to give you a little uh, example, I guess, from my personal life, I gave up eating meat about 12 and a half years ago, I think it was. Um, and at that, yeah, wow. it's been it's been a long time. Um, and I, to be fair, I did not do it for sustainability reasons. I did it for just so I would eat a little bit healthier. Um, but then I started learning about the impacts, you know, of meat. And I know there's probably a lot of listeners who love meat. And so, you know, I'm not going to say you have to give it up. But there, you know, there there is this sustainability component to it. Um, and at the time when I gave it up, being a non-meat eater was pretty challenging. Um, there were very few non-meat alternatives on the market. Um, and I was in college at the time. And so I would have to prepare, you know, I would prepare like an avocado and cheese sandwich to take with me to school because the cafe options were primarily meat based on campus. So there there wasn't a lot of choice for me to eat non-meat options, you know, when I went to campus and I'd be on campus all day. Um, and so the longer I went without eating meat, the more creative I got, you know, with with meal ideas. And although I don't particularly love to cook, um, you know, I, I, and it took a little bit of effort, I would try to make it fun by experimenting with meals, mixing spices and ingredients, you know, and, and things that didn't traditionally go together. Um, and I think that that's the kind of the way that I look at sustainability from a personal perspective is I, I try to find, I find fun in the creativity um, because it, it just sometimes requires us to think a little bit outside of the box in absence of those structures being in place to make those choices easy. 
Um, and so, you know, I, I also always like, like I said, I'm not, every single choice I make is not the most sustainable one. Um, but I, I try to do better every day. And so one thing that I do is, you know, I forgive myself if, if I make an unsustainable choice and I tell myself, okay, next time, you know, I'm going to make a better effort to not engage in that behavior, right? Whether it's to buy a shirt from, you know, a company that I know is engaging um, in unsustainable practices or something. And so I, I try to remind myself, um, you know, the, the benefits of sustainability, but I also try to, especially in my purchasing behavior, you know, try to consider the people behind the product. Um, and I find that that is really what drives me at the, at the checkout line. You know, if there's something that I see and I'm like, oh, I really like that, but I can't find any information on how it's produced. Well, that's a pretty good signal to me that there might be some information in that, you know, value chain that maybe the company doesn't want me to know. <laughs> and, and so I just remind myself there could be something really bad happening to people, you know, in that value chain. And so I put it back. Um, and so I try to do a little bit more research, um, you know, every day. And, and the more you do it, the more you become familiar, you know, with what to look for. And so it, it does, I think, become easier. Um, but forgiving, forgiving myself when, when I don't choose the sustainable option and I do choose the convenient option, um, I think is a big part of keeping me motivated to just, you know, keep doing better. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing for all of us to remember is that it's not about being perfect at anything. And we say this all the time with diversity, equity, and inclusion too. You know, it's really unrealistic to think that everybody's going to be perfect all the time. But if we can keep trying to get a little bit better every day, that seems like a pretty good goal. And if we, you know, aren't living up to our own expectations or others' expectations for those behaviors, that you just dedicate yourself to trying to do a little bit better next time. Um, so I really like that. Uh, and uh, sort of before we close things out with a Final fun question. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about you or your work or sustainability, some closing statements or some things that you want them to look for? Um, well, first of all, I really appreciate both of you having me on the show today. Um, I would like to just, I think, add to your last comment there, you know, about, um, you know, not being perfect, right? And, and we don't have to do things perfectly every single time and every single day. Um, but one really awesome thing about sustainability is that the more people act sustainably, the more that they look for the sustainable option in the store, in the checkout line, the more, the easier it's going to be to find it. And so if I like circle back to my, you know, meat eating story, um, you know, there was almost no like fake meat products on the market when I gave up meat. I mean, it was pretty much beans and avocados and, you know, nuts and things like that to get protein. Um, and now there are just so many options on the market. I mean, I, I can't even believe how easy it is to be a non-meat eater now. And um, and the only reason that happened is because more and more people demanded it, you know, because businesses are, are going to produce what we demand. So if we demand, you know, that they produce more non-meat options, they're going to give us more non-meat options. If we demand, you know, more transparency in the supply chain, they're going to give that to us. And so, you know, the more that we kind of persevere <laughs> through some of the challenges, the easier it gets for everyone. And so that's that's like one really cool thing about sustainability is that the more of us who do it, the easier it gets for everyone. Um, and so I think that would be kind of my final thought. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, 
you have some amazing listeners here at Worker Being, and I, I love listening to this podcast. And so, you know, I do want to let listeners know that if they want to get in touch with me at all, you know, they can feel free to email me. Um, I have a lot more email storage on my business email account. So I usually ask people to reach out to me there instead of uh, my academic account where I teach. But of course, either is fair game. Um, and so I, my business account is just Jennifer at 3pinsights.com. And maybe we could just link that or, or just link the website or something for the listeners. Um, but yeah. yeah, anyone who, you know, is passionate about uh, work, workplace wellness and the role that sustainability plays in it, you know, I'm happy to connect. We will definitely link to everything. We'll link to your website. We'll link to your email address, um, your book, all the good stuff so people can find you. Uh, we really appreciate your willingness to chat with any of our listeners that are interested in learning more. And I really love your point about the meat eating piece. I just want to jump back to that for one second because it's so true. Like I remember when, I mean, I'm lucky because I grew up in LA and I went to college in LA. And so when it came to like healthy food options, even though sounds like we, well, sounds like I may have gone to school a little bit earlier than you. <laughs> um, but we had we had a lot of healthy options because the demand existed in this part of the country, right? In this specific city where healthy food has kind of been a, a trendy thing for a very long time and has just stayed. So I was really lucky, but um, I do think it's interesting to see how much it's changed over time because of what people are demanding and asking for. So I love that. And so if we can just... Like Tina said, we don't have to be perfect, but if we're working hard to try to get the more sustainable thing, then we can all impact the way businesses behave as well. For sure. So <laughs> final fun question. I know. <laughs> final fun question, though, when it comes to recycling, um, we haven't said the word recycling yet, but if you could recycle one trend from the past, so that could be fashion, it could have to do with TV shows, technology, music, etc. What would it be and why? <laughs> what a fun question. <laughs> hmm, what would I recycle? Um, I tend to not be great with keeping up with trends, but, you know, I think one thing that I, you know, this is actually something I was thinking about just the other day, so that's funny um, that you asked this question, but um, I think talking on the phone would be something that I would like to bring back. Mm. Um, when I was growing up, you know, we I would talk on the phone with my friends, you know, or my aunts or whoever all the time. And, you know, even in college when the internet and social media wasn't as uh, big as it is now, um, as, a, as a larger part of our lives, um, you know, I just, it seemed like I kept in touch with people a lot more. And I think even though talking on the phone is probably a little less sustainable than texting. Um, although if we're spending that extra time on social media, then it's probably equal. Um, but I, I think I miss that. I think I would like to, you know, catch up with people more just on the phone and not Zoom, right? Not Zoom meetings, not feeling like I have to be on <laughs> all the time, but just chatting on the phone. I think that's such a good call. Well, that's funny to call, but um, <laughs> but it it's true. Like I I think there's you can stay on the phone longer when you're just talking to somebody, not when you're on a Zoom 
call, yeah. right? Um, I feel like you just put some headphones on and you just walk around your house, do whatever you got to do uh, while talking. So it, I think you can multitask better, which I love that. Like I remember doing that when I was younger too. And uh, I remember like having my first cell phone when I was in high school and like that was, we didn't have multiple lines in my house. So I would always have my phone, my cell phone, but I could talk on that phone and like take a walk or do something else. And I don't, we don't do that enough anymore. I like that one. Yeah, I like it too. I think that that's a good throwback. I was trying to think of what I would pick and that one's better than anything I could think of for sure. So I like it a lot and we appreciate that you're here. It's basically like you're on the phone with us here today. Uh, So we appreciate that you're here talking with us and we know our listeners appreciate it too. So thank you so, so much for your time and for teaching all of us about such an important topic and issue that businesses should pay more attention to. For sure. I It was my pleasure being here. Um, like I said, I love the work that, that you two are doing on Worker Being. So thrilled to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our episode with Jennifer. It was really a pleasure speaking to her about sustainability. You know how to find us if you want to talk to us. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the episode. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, and on social media at workerbeing. And you can also email Jennifer, as she mentioned. Her email is jennifer at 3pinsights.com. And that's spelled three, like the number three, um, pinsights.com. And we'll also have a link to that in our show notes. So feel free to go down there. You can find her email address, her website, link to her book, all the great things. If you want to learn more about sustainability at work, thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.